The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering central please remain and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Well, Operation Save Big Dog is underway. Whether or not you believe anyone in the government actually called it that, Boris Johnson survived the weekend, though, with a message that he will clean up Downing Street's drinking culture. The Sunday Times says that the government is planning a series of feel-good announcements to win back public support, while some senior civil servants may be sacked. But the Prime Minister is walking a fine line. The Times reckons that almost three dozen Tory MPs support a no-confidence vote. Now, that's some way short of the 54 needed to trigger a leadership contest. Meanwhile, The Telegraph reports that Johnson has been questioned by civil servant Sue Gray, whose investigation into Downing Street parties is keenly awaited. Education Secretary Nadine Zahawi told Sky that we shouldn't yet jump to conclusions. Let's wait for the investigation. I think it's only, it's only right. You know, remember, you know, our British values are all about, you know, fairness and you don't condemn an individual before having all the facts before you. So that was Nadim Zahawi. Well, what are these feel-good measures? Well, reported by The Times, the possibility of an end to all Plan B coronavirus restrictions on the 26th of January, perhaps including scrapping tests for vaccinated travellers on their return to the UK. For now, the rules around isolation have also changed. People who catch COVID-19 in England now only need to isolate for five days instead of seven if they test negative on two consecutive days, so day five and day six. Well, let's bring in our guest today, Steve McCabe, Labour MP for Birmingham, Selly Oak. Thank you so much for joining us on the programme again, Steve. Now... The government has uh, put put in place lots of, or they're proposing lots of uh, attractive policies, uh, more money for the NHS, uh, perhaps lifting COVID restrictions at the end of the month. Do you think the government is going to uh, regain the initiative and move on from their troubles last week? Well, it's possible, but uh, I think they've got a bit of an uphill struggle. I mean, you know, the, the, the problem when confidence uh, is damaged is that every feel-good announcement then raises an expectation. And if it turns out to be an announcement that you can't deliver on, it doesn't actually do you much good. Do you think that Boris Johnson should resign? Well, I mean, I think that's up to him and I think it's up to to um, Tory members of Parliament. Uh, I, I think he's damaged. Isn't the... Uh, isn't the danger for for Labour if Boris Johnson does go, and of course many people in your party have been calling on him to go, isn't the danger is that that the Tories then put in place uh, a fresh face, somebody who's not tainted by all these scandals? They've done this many times in the past before, and then you're faced uh, with uh, Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss or somebody uh, rather less unpopular than Boris Johnson. Well, 
Yes, I mean, we have a, a program here, I think you get in the States as well, called Doctor Who, where the ca- central character keeps regenerating. Uh, I, I mean, I suppose they might try and do that trick again. Uh, the, the only question is, I, I wonder if in politics there's a limit to how many times you can get away with it. I mean, the, the, the problem at the moment is that Boris Johnson has damaged trust in the government. And, uh, you know, I mean, people like Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, they are backing the man. So to get rid of him and replace him with one of them, I'm not sure it will work quite as easily this time. Yeah, I've seen that line reported in a few places, the concerns around the hit to democracy in and of itself from kind of lockdown rule breaking. But look, if... um, Keir Starmer can have a drink with colleagues, as he's been pictured in the Daily Mail as doing. Why not the Tories? Well, I think the difference is, uh, as I understand it, um, he was absolutely genuinely working and popped into the kitchen for a sandwich. Uh, um, I don't think he was sending out um, invitations asking people to bring their own booze uh, and organise an industrial-scale party. Uh, and, of course, he didn't put the, bring the regulations into force that were being uh, broken. I think, you know, I mean, I think this is a classic. It's not a surprise, is it, if uh, if one uh, political figure is under attack. It's not surprising that uh, supporters will go out and try to find something to level the, the score. But uh, I don't think anybody in their right mind would say this is a comparison. I'm um, talking on the on the COVID uh, issue. This looks like we're going to be cutting the self isolation uh, from seven to five days. That comes in uh, today. In fact, do you think that is a welcome step? Or are, are, are you do you worry that cutting it to five days is a little bit premature? Well, I hope it's the right decision. I really hope it's the right decision. And I think we are actually reaching a point where tolerance of the the COVID restrictions is about exhausted. So I hope it's right. But of course, our hospitals and ambulance service are still under enormous pressure. And the whole idea of restrictions and lockdowns was to stop them collapsing. So, you know, like everyone else, I guess, I hope that this is the right decision. But I think the jury's out. Um, what about the idea of, of ending uh, testing for people who are returning if they're double jabbed, i.e. allowing a bit more freedom of travel? And again, it would be a sweetener in the sense that it would happen perhaps uh, according to Grant Shapps or the Times reporting about Grant Shapps, that it would happen in time for the February half term. I mean, should that be dropped so swiftly? Well, I mean, I can see why that actually might appeal to people. As I say, I think the the tolerance of the restrictions, people may well be a bit exhausted by them. But, uh, you know, I mean, these restrictions, when they were brought in, they were brought in because we were told they were designed to stop the spread of COVID and the, the, the different variants uh, of COVID. Uh, and uh, although it's turned out to perhaps not be as lethal as we feared, uh, the, the speed of the spread of the Omicron variant was astonishing. Uh, and uh, I suppose the risk here is that if we suddenly drop things that we were told were absolutely essential just uh, four or five weeks ago, 
Um, it could backfire horrendously, and you know, I don't think anybody would start, but. I think it is an example of the government gambling, and I think it's an example of a gamble being taken because they're in trouble. You voted in favour of the Plan B restrictions. The the vaccine passports only only passed because of uh, Labour votes. Do you think it's time to ditch the vaccine vaccine passports now, or do you want to see them stay in place for longer? Well, I was very much in favour of the the lateral flow test. I, I remain a, a trifle skeptical about vaccine passports myself. Um, look, I'm in favour of vaccines. I think vaccines are probably the best way of controlling this. Um, I would like to hear the explanation that says we no longer worry about people meeting uh, in big numbers in mass venues. Uh, if we're ditching it, fine, but I'd like to hear what the explanation is. I mean, it, you know, this is all about public confidence. And if you're telling people one thing one day and the exact opposite the next, it's hardly surprising that confidence becomes pretty stretched. Well, um, perhaps the public also have other things to, to concern themselves now with. I mean, after 18 months, two years of the, the pandemic, it's household finances being squeezed that is worrying a lot of people the increase in energy bills hasn't happened yet, but it's coming down the line and inflation is already going up. What's the solution to the energy crisis as far as Labour are concerned? Is it just cut VAT and cut the green energy taxes in order to sort of help households? No, that's a, a short-term measure. And of course, that's the measure we were promised by Boris Johnson if we left the European Union. That's what he said he would do. So we are simply calling on him to honour that promise as a short-term measure to to help families against the rising cost of energy bills. Um, the the long-term issue is to have a much clearer energy plan, a much clearer transition plan for transition to green fuels, uh, and a much better gas management programme uh, for the time being. All, all of that... Uh, perhaps because of COVID, I don't know. But all of that seems to be uh, absent from government thinking at the moment. That's all longer-term stuff, though, isn't it? But what needs to be done in the next few months to give people some well, relief from say, I rising think, bills? I think cutting, I think cutting uh, VAT is the obvious thing. It's a fair measure. It means that it goes to everyone. Everyone has to pay energy bills. It's an across-the-board measure. It is a, a, an outstanding Brexit promise, so that you know that's something that should be done. Um, is that the the biggest concern that your constituents have now? Then is it about their financial squeeze rather than just COVID? Well, I think people are weary of COVID. I think you're right about that, and so other things are beginning to surface. Uh, absolutely, the cost of living. It's not just energy. I mean, I think people are worried about uh, rising food prices. I think they're worried about, um, well, I mean, it's energy, obviously, but fuel for their car as well as gas and electricity for their, their homes. And I think there's a continuing anxiety, uh, a growing anxiety about crime, lack of police, house burglaries, car burglaries, uh, uh, car theft. Uh, I think crime and the cost of living are the things that are really beginning to rise up the political agenda in this country.
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We're joined by Bloomberg's James Walcott. Now, uh, James, the Times reckons that there are 30-odd letters have gone into the 1922 committee uh, looking for a leadership contest. We don't really know that for sure. Publicly, there are far fewer than that. But just talk us through the uh, what Boris Johnson needs to survive over the over the coming weeks. I think so it's such an question like sort of survival because I think it breaks down to two parts. Can he sort of limp on, sort of w- wounded and sort of weakened, with sort of his power base sort of fractured? Because the problem the Tory Party faces can they replace him and who can they replace him with? And that's I think what's leading to a lot of reluctance from Tory MPs. They're sort of saying like, you know, is Sunak ready? I think Sunak and Truss and other sort of frontrunners in the cabinet are thinking, do we want to look like we're stabbing another leader in the back? And that's holding that but them back. But we're seeing as with stuff like the BBC and sort of announcements this week, is Johnson trying to sort of get his base back on side with a lot of, sort of far right accusations. A lot rests on the Sue Gray report, this sort of civil servant who is seen as very imp- independent minded. Keir Starmer was on LBC this morning. He said he even he's worked with her and he thinks she's a force to be reckoned with. But like, can she release a report that sets out the facts that in some way exonerates Johnson or will she throw the book at him and sort of set it back further? So there's that side of it and kind of can Johnson be replaced? But on the other side, there's this kind of will he be able to kind of govern in the way that he would like, even if he can survive the scandal? Yeah, absolutely. So um, and, and the question of whether or not he even will be weakened or not, because one cannot rule out with a prime minister like Boris Johnson, that he that he can revive his polling numbers, although they've sunk pretty low. They've sunk pretty low, and I think what is really interesting now is it always has been scandals don't touch Boris Johnson. He can shrug off anything. I um, mean, I remember when he prorogued Parliament and we were outside the Supreme Court and everyone was saying that would be the final week of the Boris Johnson premiership. I'm going to be mm-hmm. careful around saying it again now. But there does seem to be kind of a tension in the air now in that, I, the impression I seem to be getting is that there are things that could accelerate Boris Johnson's demise as much as there are things that can put it off or delay it. If Prime Minister's question this week were to be a very poor performance, there are MPs that could put it out. The fact that we're even discussing letters going into the 1922 committee is a scary thing. I remember when we were covering Theresa May's premiership, uh, when she lost the, 1920, the 2017 election, uh, Nick Timothy it was the advisers that were cleared out. But normally it's the advisers who get the blame for the Premier's mistake whether they are rightfully the Premier's mistakes or not. Dominic Cummings has already gone from Johnson's government. How far can he get away with blaming his staff for these mistakes? How far will the buck finally stop with him? It's an open question. Um, in many ways, like Sue Gray may just be the first step of a longer-running sort of casting of blame. Thanks, James. Yeah, minions' heads will roll. Bloomberg's James Walcott there with the latest gossip uh, from Westminster. Well, let's switch focus now, because in three weeks' time, the energy regulator Ofgem will announce the new energy price cap, which will take effect from April. Soaring wholesale gas prices over the winter mean that households could see their energy bills jump 50 or even 60%. Let's discuss this now with Mika Minio-Paluelo, who is energy analyst and the policy lead for climate and industry at the TUC, the Trades Union Congress. Uh, Mika, welcome to the programme. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, 
a lot of a lot has been flagged in terms of energy uh, bills going up. It hasn't hit households yet, although inflation is already up. The government can't really do anything to mitigate the rise in global energy prices, though, can it? Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I think. I think it can. I mean, you're you're right that it's we've got a big problem here about the dependence on global prices and effectively a globally traded commodity. But ultimately, we also face a lot of the systemic problems we're facing are because of the way our energy market in the UK works. And ultimately, it is bust. It is broken. Um, the market here has failed to deliver affordable or secure energy. We've had a, a decade of calling for more competition within the energy supply market, which is why we went from, you know, having a, a small number of energy suppliers to more than 70. And there was a lot of pressure on consumers to switch and switch and switch, which ultimately that many of those companies have now gone bust. And there's a cost of living crisis facing millions and millions across the country. Mm. And I think we need to learn the lessons that actually that <clears throat> just saying we need more companies in a mix and people should switch. That wasn't actually fixing the problem. Wasn't um, the competition wasn't competition working fairly well before the price got out of control? You said there were seventy companies, so clearly there was a lot of competition. Were you unhappy with with the way it was working? The, 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 I think it depends about what we mean working well. Were there many companies involved? Yes. Um, was it working well for households? Not necessarily. I mean, the reality is that um, many people were still paying over paying much too much and ultimately energy supply we all know that energy supply that's not that's not where generation happens that's not where electricity moves it's largely a paper market like it's people mm. just that that when you buy your electricity from whoever ovo that ovo is not generating it doesn't lead to uh, investment in infrastructure and ultimately infrastructure generation where the electricity or the gas comes from is what determines down the line the prices and our energy infrastructure in the uk has been hollowed out over this period of time we've had not just last decade decades particularly since privatization but you know gas storage less of that rough was closed the rough storage site energy storage we've got issues networks haven't haven't had the investment to accelerate the net zero transition that we need to see domestic manufacturing for the renewables yes. and the renewables yes. roll out nuclear all of those have been hollowed out over time and okay that, but hang that on go, go. more susceptible yep, more yep. susceptible yes okay so understood but on the issue of the price cap that has yep. actually functioned incredibly well for consumers it has kept prices in check for a decade yep. and that is actually a pretty amazing sort of result. Also, the UK is very different to Europe, for example, which is highly dependent on Russia for natural gas now and is in perhaps arguably an even worse state than the UK, which only relies on Russia for 1% of its energy needs. So comparatively, we've done better. Um, I, so I'd, we haven't had the price cap for a decade. The price cap came in after Ed Miliband spoke about about doing it and then was derided heavily in the media and then afterwards it came in. So we haven't had it quite that long. But yes, the price cap was was positive in terms of making sure that those people on standard variable tariffs weren't ripped off to the extent that they had been before. Um, but, but it was a limited, <laughs> a, a limited get, um, benefit mm. and we see the limitations of it now when those underlying factors of massively soaring gas prices hit us. And you're right that there's different levels of dependency in different countries but and i don't have the precise breakdown for which countries are paying how much more my understanding is actually bills going up bills are going up 
more in the UK than a lot of other EU countries. And, um, and particularly also our manufacturing industries are struggling more. And that there's a range of factors. Sometimes that's about how much gas storage there is in the mix. Mm. Sometimes that's about how much um, heating is provided by gas versus electricity. Like the UK is quite, because of our high dependence on gas for heating homes, rather than district heating, let's say, or uh, accelerating the shift to, <clears throat> to electrification, we're very dependent on that. And yes, we get we don't get much gas from Russia coming into the UK, but ultimately, as as you pointed out, it's a globally traded commodity. So whether the gas is coming from the North Sea or we're getting an LNG arrival from Algeria or from Qatar, it's still very expensive. So, <laughs> so, that, that cost still comes through into the system. Yeah. So where do we go from here? Um, energy bills are rising right across the continent. It, it does vary. You're right. In some countries, it's more than others, but they are rising rapidly uh, pretty much everywhere in Europe. What do we do in the short term? I appreciate there are things we can do over the next 10 years to make the market work better. But how do we sort out this big problem, which is coming very rapidly down the line? Yeah. And so I think it's crucial that we <laughs> we basically do both alongside the kind of immediate term and the medium term. I would I don't think we should wait 10 years to do any of these things. Um, I think there's very, very immediate term measures that need to be brought in to protect low income households. So whether that's around the war, expanding the warm homes discount to cover um, to be larger, um, but also to cover more households. Um, so it, it's almost, you know, Increasing it by £50 doesn't make much difference if your bill goes up by £600. The, the change needs to be, the, the support needs to be commensurate. But also at the moment, the warm homes discount doesn't reach nearly enough people. It should be expanded to, for instance, everybody who, who receives universal credit, particularly those homes that are the most vulnerable or pensions credit. Um, so we need those emergency measures to, um, uh, to reach people. But and alongside that, we also need to be bringing in the, the kind of structural change right now that can protect people. So an obvious example would be a mass home insulation program. You know, we had the Green Homes Grants program, yeah. but that failed, was clearly badly implemented. There's important lessons to learn from them. Um, the, there was actually a subpart of the Green Homes Grant program, which was delivered through local authorities, which actually worked quite well. And the government has recognized that and given some increased funding to that. that bit. But that should be expanded significantly and rolled out rapidly delivered by local councils in-house, and that obviously changes the underlying conditions that people then need less energy to heat their homes. Their homes are automatically warmer. But in a sense, Micah, you're asking for essentially tax rises because all of this would need to be funded, and tax rises is one of the other things that is squeezing households so so badly. Uh, I mean, expanding um, you know, the, the warm homes discount would, would, be, would be enormously costly. Uh, it's expensive. I think tax rises obviously depend on who the tax is on mm. uh, for a start. <laughs> so I think uh, a tax rise by default, like let's say, um, doesn't impact everybody, particularly doesn't necessarily impact low-income households. Um, the the obvious uh, example that is being floated quite widely, government is exploring it, Lib Dems, the Labour um, have put out proposals for a range of different windfall taxes on North Sea oil and gas companies, particularly on those companies that are making extremely large profits off the back of the of the gas price crisis. And I, I think it's an important question to ask mm. of those households, all of us, all of us that pay bills, and particularly those households that are struggling the most, should mm -hmm. they be effectively paying hundreds of pounds each towards greater profits on behalf of Shell, BP, Exxon, as well as, you know, Putin, Qatar, etc. Et
Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.